Marilee Kilpak is a Utah native. First up in her life are God and family. Her husband and four children are the center of her orbit, and she considers herself a husband dancer, dancing at the Juilliard School in New York City and at BYU where she graduated. Seven years ago, she co-founded an eight-figure business called Gather that sells leather goods, yet she'd consider her biggest professional accomplishment convincing her husband to join the team. They love working together approximately 98% of the time. Her greatest goal in life is to become half the woman her mother is. And today I have the privilege of talking to Marilee or Mare as I think of her about her family's unique journey of saving her child Abram's life through his brother's bone marrow. Mare shares all the miracles and tender mercies that she and her family experienced as they navigated this huge trial and the many lessons they learned along the way. Okay, Marilee, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me, Corinne. All my treats. Such an honor. Oh, it's so nice to see your face and I can't wait to catch up. Yeah. I feel like I get little bits and pieces sometimes on your stories, but it will be really fun to just catch up and and also for anyone who doesn't know your story to be able to hear all of the incredible things that you guys have gone through as a family. So let's start from the beginning, kind of just like a very quick background on like you, your husband, your family, kind of just a, if anyone has no idea who you are, kind of just what you, what you would tell people. Yes. Um, I'm Marilee. Um, I live in Utah and I am a mom to four little kids. My husband and I, and my business partner and her husband run a business called gather. And that has been a great journey for us and taken us on a lot of new places we never dreamed of, but, um, we had a little boy born, uh, a few years ago, he's turning five in December, which is crazy. We just had a little boy born with a genetic syndrome. So we've been on a journey of trying to get him healed and he's, he's doing really, really well. So it's been a faith promoting experience for sure to be a part of. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> well, so you guys, and, and I feel like I've seen a lot of what you've gone through also since COVID and that you had a really like exceptionally just <laughs> challenging journey. I mean, I feel like almost you guys lived through a COVID like experience before yeah, COVID happened for sure. and then had to live through that also through COVID. So let's start at the beginning of Abram's life. And did you guys know when you were pregnant, was there any sign of the fact that he would have this blood disorder? Is that what you call it? Yeah, it's called Wiska-Aldrich, but it's a really rare blood disease where his platelets don't work and his immunity is really suppressed. So no, we had no signs. I was pregnant with the third child and then quickly thereafter got pregnant. Total surprise. Wasn't planning on it. Had an emergency C-section with the third. So I was kind of already like in a state of trauma after her. And then he came as a surprise really quickly. And we had no idea all the way until he was born that he, he was totally fine in embryo, which is great. It's a miracle that he was safe through delivery but he was born with like just broken blood vessels all over his body. And at first we just thought it was like a rough delivery. Didn't expect too much of it, but with tests and stuff, it was pretty quickly made, made known that he had that disease and none of us, like I'm a carrier, but none of us knew that that was in our family. And so it was just a real shock to us. We were all trying to process, but it was a good, it was a good thing to get an answer, you know? nothing's worse yeah. than not knowing what's going on. Right. Right. So once you guys found out, and I know you've talked before about how it's a little bit similar to 
having a child with cancer. Can you explain that and how that has, how that works? So we got diagnosed when he was about three or four months old, a little baby. And because his platelets don't work, he obviously couldn't clog blood very well. And then his immune system doesn't work. So they treat it as if he has cancer in that they go give him chemotherapy and a bone marrow transplant. That's the only way to cure this blood disease. And so that whole process would just clear out all his bad blood and bring in, you know, fresh, perfect, healthy blood. And that would essentially like remove the whole disease from him. So there was that process of like, okay, we need to do this really hard thing for him, but it's not really cancer and you don't have to do it. You could let him live if you want to, but he wouldn't live a great life. And most kids don't make it past like three to five years old with, with this disease. So it was a, it was a lot of like struggle in that, like, do we go for it? Obviously the side effects of chemotherapy are great. You know, a transplant is really dangerous. Um, but we just, with a lot of prayer and fasting felt like, you know, there was only one way out and that was through. And so we just dove in and went for it. Oh my gosh. Were there other people who had been through this, who kind of gave you support and told you what to expect? Um, so there's only uh, like 600 people on the Facebook group for this, um, disease world, wow. worldwide. And they're oh like, my gosh. not, I didn't, even meet someone before we went to transplant who had this disease, but we did find a specialist in Seattle who treats it frequently. And so once we found them and decided to transplant in Seattle, it was like very reassuring because they knew the disease and knew all about it. And it was just like, okay, I can trust you. And I know that you're going to take care of us. So, yeah. So once you guys decided to do that, then what was the, what was the process like after you made that decision that that's the road you were going to go down? we decided in October, he was born in December. So about eight months later, we decided in, in for Seattle and decided to go for transplant and they want them to be ideally a year old, but you don't want to transplant in the middle of RSV cold winter season. So they were like, let's try June or, you know, summer, spring, April. So we decided, and that's that tricky waiting stage of like, he had cancer, but we couldn't do anything about it for a year. And I think that was like the, probably the most refining part of the process was just trusting and waiting and like hoping and praying for that year. Cause we didn't end up going to Seattle until end of April. So it was, he was almost 15 months. I think when we started transplant, he was a little, you know, not quite walking, couldn't quite talk a little feeble boy. He had really bad eczema and like his skin would just peel off and he would get bonks and bleed. And he just looked really, really sickly. He was pale wasn't growing. He got admitted for the hospital because he couldn't gain any weight. Like it was clear that this was not going in the right direction. So it made it easier as the signs like kind of point toward, Hey, this is not going well. You gotta, we need to intervene. So then it made it an easier process to like head towards Seattle. Yeah. So then I'm sure as a parent, the first question is, can I be the one, right? That's what I would want to know as a mom, like, okay, can I just do this for him? So what was that conversation like? Yes, that is such a good point. Sorry, I totally skipped over that. So pretty quickly after he was diagnosed, we were all tested. And ideally, yeah. they like sibling matches more than a parent because there's um, a greater genetic composition. Like you match right. your sibling closer than you Mom match. and dad. Uh-huh, than you yeah. match. So we had all the kids tested and they were so sweet and just wanted so badly to help save little Abram and, um, they would pray for him and they were so small. They were like seven, five, and three, or sorry, when he got, when he went to transplant, they were seven, five and three, but when he was born, you know, they were six, 
four and one years old anyway. And the older two matched. And so we just decided to go for a boy because it was easier with gender and all of that. Um, but they tested Devin and I, and we weren't quite as good of a match. And it was sweet for the kids to be able to see like, Hey, here, Abram needs saving. Let's see what we can do. And for them to be willing to like, I'll do anything. I'll do anything to save my little brother. I will help him. I'll fast. I'll pray for him. I'll give my blood. I'll go to the lab and, you know, draw the blood. They were just so willing. And so for them to get chosen, to be able to do that for our oldest son, Copeland was seven and he, he was really honored. And I think it was a, a pivotal moment in his life, you know, to recognize that similarity in our savior sacrifice and recognize that he was doing something for someone that they couldn't do for themselves and, and how that strengthen his testimony. I think it was really powerful. Yeah, but seven is really still so young too. <laughs> it is. He was very young. So what was that preparation like for Copeland and for Abram and you guys? How did you prepare for that? Yeah, we were in Seattle for a month before transplant and Copeland had to take um, iron every day, morning and night. It's like, it tastes like you're drinking metal and it, it's to like boost your blood growth so that he could get as much marrow in his bones to draw from. So we would call it like his super, his Iron Man pills. And he would just be like chugging his things. And he was totally living the high life. He like read Harry Potter all day and didn't have to go to school. But he did have to sit through like endless lab draws and appointments and running to doctors. And he was really, really patient, just checking to make sure he's so healthy. And then the same for Abram, just really vetting out every possible thing like is your liver well? Is every organ perfect? Let's get scans of everything. And it was very, very comprehensive. And then at that point, it was like, everything looks clear. Let's, let's go for it. And it was get admitted and start chemo and that whole process of, here we go. We got to, we got to take him down to like his lowest before we can go bring in that new life. And that was, that was terrifying to watch as a parent, you know, humbling. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure it's, really hard to with a baby that you can't explain to them yeah. why they're going through that or what's happening. Yeah. You know, with older kids, they know a little bit better, mm-hmm. but even, I mean, when your babies get like an ear infection and you, you know, know, you can't, they can't tell you what's wrong. You can't tell them yes. what is going on. So I would imagine that was probably really hard with a baby. Yeah. In some ways, I think it was a great blessing because he, he wasn't, he didn't know any different. You know, I think he's getting older now when we do labs, he still, he still is brave, but he's getting a little more scared. And he wasn't then. He was like one of it was like one of the greatest honors to watch him. They'd come in and like pull to do, you know, blood pressure cuffs all night or grab his weight or draw labs or pull from his central line. And and he just like would put his arm out or grab his finger for the pull socks. Like he is oh. a very meek boy. And I remember someone telling us that the the word meek in the scriptures was used for like um, making a horse who was used in, in war, meaning that the, they would make the horse and he would do what the own, like the owner, or the warrior commanded. And I feel like that just really resonated with me and Abram that like, he is so meek that he would do whatever God needed to ha- have him do. And it was really sweet to see at such a little age that like characteristic displayed during that journey. So 
So then what was the what was the timeline like between when you guys started that and started the chemo to when you actually had your transplant day? So it's seven days, six days of chemo, and then ironically, one day of rest on the Sabbath. And then they start oh. this transplant on a Monday morning. And the chemo is like hyper, hyper aggressive, like normal chemo, just times a hundred. It's so, so centralized and like really um, targeted. And so it just took his numbers. Like we would watch them every day and they would just like, they just plummeted. They just totally dropped all the way down to zero. And then that day of rest is to let your body hit zero. And then they put the new transplant in. So that, that next day was a Monday morning and Abram was up in the hospital obviously couldn't go anywhere or do anything. And then Copeland was downstairs getting his levels drawn and getting blood ready. And that day they take Copeland and they put him through the operation and draw like about a soda can size of Merrill from his, like the middle of his back. So 12 ounces. And um, they were able to like, just take it straight up to Abram's room after they clean it and put it through his central line. So we were all able to be there with him in the room. Um, my mom or my husband's mom and like all the nurses come in and everyone just sings like, happy transplant day to you. It's like this very sweet moment oh, of you get to yeah. watch the blood start going in and giving him that chance at new life. Wow. Yeah. That is really so so incredible. And was there any, was there any like doubt that this would work or were you like, this is going to be, did you just know this is going to work and this is oh, going to man. be the answer? No, I mean, I really, it was like our only option kind of, like I said, but I, I really all the way up until the end, we had to sign papers like for a consent, agree, agree to consent form. And it talked about death, I think like 14 times in the, in the document. And so I think it's always, it's always there in the back of your mind. Gratefully, Abram's disease is a little more calm than like a cancer. Sometimes cancer can morph in ways that like this disease doesn't. So they were hopeful. The doctors were really hopeful that it was going to be smooth. I think they have like a great chance of success at this hospital with this disease. So we weren't like out of the clear, but um, we weren't like, at least we were just, we we're just hanging on to Jesus, you know, just praying yeah. that he would make it. And they had good hopes for him. So. Well, that's really neat too, how your family was so prayerful and your kids were willing to pray and fast and, and be so willing to help. What was that like watching Copeland probably mature pretty fast? And, and what was that like for him being that person you mentioned that there was like a connection with him and the savior? And It was so sweet. So he had to skip he missed like three and a half months of, of third grade and, you know, had no friends and we were up there alone. And I think he got, he got tired of it after a while. Just, I don't know if I want to just be here at labs all day. And, but he's a, he was a very special boy too. And I, I could see that this was worth it for him. The sacrifice was worth it. And as we were walking into that room to, to do the transplant, he's been like so excited all the way up until that point. And then that morning, I think it started getting real, like, he could see Abram through the glass. He couldn't go in because he was too sick, but like he is really sick. Like Abram is at the point of death, the valley of the shadow of death. And, and it's kind of like all resting on me. And, and I think though he was just seven, I think he could feel that. And we were all praying and fasting for him, but we walked back into the room and and he lays on the table. The surgeons let me come in as he's going under anesthesia. And he's holding my hand and being so brave for a seven-year-old, more brave than I could be. And he said something that 
just again mirrors our savior. And he just said, mom, I don't want to do this. And he said it twice. I don't want to do this as he's like holding my little hand. And I just held his hand and said, you can do it, buddy. You got this. It'll be okay. I promise you'll be okay. And that's all he said. And he just closed his eyes and did it. And he was very safe and well taken care of. And there was no risk for him there, but for him to just realize that, that Jesus Christ did that for us, for us all to see that, you know, that this is, this is a small little example of how our savior was kind of forced into that moment of like, there is no other out, you know, there is no other option and they're all waiting on me. And to feel a little bit of that pressure was so insightful, not only as like a mom, because I had such empathy for like heavenly mother at that point, like, how did she watch him do that? And how did they just, how did they just agree to it? But also seeing the child that needs to be saved and, and, and say, and like, kind of like, yeah, you do need to do this. I need you to like pull through and, and we need your help. It was like a really, it opened a lot of insight for me. It was really powerful. Wow. In a way that most mothers will never have to <laughs> watch two of their children suffer like that and, and know that one has to sacrifice for the other. What a beautiful, tender thing for your kids to go through, even though it was probably excruciating for you to watch too. It was really sweet. And I'm, I'm grateful on the flip side that they can see how like Jesus Christ is saving them, that they get to see that in their, in their daily life, because now Abram has Copeland's exact DNA. Like he, they are blood twins. If there was like blood on a crime scene, you couldn't tell if it was Copes or Abrams because they share the same blood now. And so I think that's really powerful too. And that like, we, when we, we do let Jesus Christ save us, it can totally transform even all the way down to like a cellular DNA level. Like he can change everything about us. And like the fact that a doctor can figure that out about blood, just like is such a testimony builder to me that like God can change characteristics. He can change flaws. He can change mistakes. He can change everything that we find that needs changing in us. He can like Jesus Christ has that power. That is so powerful. I would love to hear about some of the miracles that your family experienced or that you experienced or Abram through this journey. Cause I feel like you've shared so many good ones along the way that I'll see in your stories and then they'll disappear. And, but so many of those I've just held and sat and, and read, and then I'll give them to my husband and say, hold this and read this. And they've been so powerful for me to see throughout these last few years. You're so sweet, Corinne. Um, wow. Like, I was thinking, I was rereading my journal, which was so tender for me to do this morning because here we are a few years out, like four, and it's hard to not like forget, you know, you want to stay like that raw, humble gratitude for like breath, even just to be alive. And to see this morning, some of those like journal entries, there was one when we were staying in the Ronald McDonald house in Seattle, which was really powerful. It's a home for people who are going through treatment at the hospital and um nothing glam about it no instagram pictures happening in there like it is sacred almost like sanctuary place of community and home but we were walking out to go grab dinner they have people bring meals in every day and um there was an older couple kind of hiding behind like the posts and they came up to us and said hey are you patients here and we said yeah our son is at seattle children's and they said, oh, well, we have something for you. And they just handed us a little envelope and, and literally walked around the corner. And 
when you're in the middle of all the craziness, it's just, you're just surviving. We opened it and it was a couple hundred dollars of cash and we ran around the corner to find them. And they were both crying. They said that they had lost their daughter to cystic fibrosis at Seattle Children's a few, like 10 years prior. And they hold a race every year in her honor and come back and donate the money to families at the Rondon. And, um, I feel like that was one of the more impactful miracles that I saw just to see someone who had used their like divinely catered curriculum that God gave them in their life to like use that empathy to help someone also facing the same struggle. Like I've seen you do Corinne and I've seen so many people that you admire do, they use what they're doing and what they've gone through to help someone else. And that was like, really, really powerful. They said they wouldn't tell us their names. They were like, just call us Peg and Al. And we were, Aww. we were, we'll, we'll never forget them. Peg and Al, they left a, a deep place in our heart and hopefully we can all be a little bit more like that. Divinely catered curriculum. That is just so profound. I'm going to be thinking about that for a while, but I agree with you. It is really so inspiring to see people who take the lemons of life and make lemonade and make those into something that can uplift others or help others or just even create compassion or understanding. And, and I feel like you've talked a lot about that too, about like ways that people have served or ways that you have served and how that has been like a balm for you, or I'm trying to like reach for the right word, but just something that has really fed your soul as you've gone through this. So can you talk a little bit about that too? Yeah, I am a pretty introverted person. I'm shy by nature. And so um, as I was going through this journey with Abram, I couldn't decide whether or not to share and like, how do I keep my mom and everyone? There's like Facebook pages some people do. And I was like overwhelmed by all that, but I got a pretty clear answer that I needed to share like social openly on social. And so I tried to, which was a big jump for me. And I, I, I felt like one of the blessings I got, I got a lot of blessings <laughs> during this time. And, um, one of them said that like the words that you write will like help yourself, like your testimony, you writing your own thoughts down will help you. And I could, I could totally, I couldn't have seen it then, but looking back now, those are some of like my deepest, you know, your deepest moments and having those moments recorded has been so great, great for me, but also it was really powerful to be able to like have a place to just write it all out and, and share with someone. I don't know if it helped anyone, but if, if nothing else, it was really therapeutic for me. Like I have a strong testimony of journal writing and, and, and getting your thoughts out because it lets you connect with God. And, and I could see him working when I took time at night to like recast the day, like here was a few miracles that happened and here was the rough and here was, here's what we're struggling with. You know, it was, I could better see his hand in my life. Yeah. I, I personally benefited from those little entries and, and Instagram posts that you made because every time it would just help bring so much clarity. I think it's so easy to get involved in all of the mm -hmm. craziness of life and all the things going on and your world can get so small when right. it's like, this is me and everything that I'm focused on and everything that's going on in my life that it is so helpful to see because when people go through really, really difficult struggles, all of a sudden, all of the exterior, all of those things that seem to be such a big deal in life yeah. are not a big deal at all anymore. And, and so it's, for me, it was very helpful to just see that like beautiful reminder of what really matters in life. And, and I so appreciated when you would share those things. So it, 
it was uplifting to me for sure. <laughs> You're too kind. I know that you also, you guys started Gather. So I am like a super fan from before it was even called Gather I when know. it was Let's Playground. I remember those days. And you are like yes. an OG supporter for sure. Yes. So that was, that was before Abram was born, yeah, right? Yeah, we started in 2014. So how did you continue to juggle having this thriving business and having this huge life circumstance where your one child needed all of your undivided attention? How did that, I'm sure there were like miracles and things that kept everything afloat and kept everything going. And not to mention you had three other kids at home too, two or three others, I guess, at the same time. So how did God make all of that work for you? Yeah. One of like, I think that was one of the the big miracles of of transplant was seeing the timing of everything. Like Abram having siblings be a match who were older than him. Like he wasn't the first child born. Or um, I had a I have the most incredible business partner, Jessica. Give her all the credit here, who took over everything for me while I was gone. My husband kind of worked remote, but that was also a little spotty while we were in Seattle. And then a team, like an incredible team at Gather. We we found some incredible hires. And I remember someone telling us from Thread Wallet that you can pray people in, pray them in. And I feel like we've seen that in our business. Like when you need, when there's crucial hires and crucial people that you need, like take that to God and, and he'll, he'll bring them. We've seen that before transplant and after lots of really important people who have made it so we could do the things we need to. And then just like my mom being around to help or, you know, preschool opening up lots of spots for us to be able to put the girls in while I was away. There was so many miracles. And I think that was, that was really humbling. I was not prepared for that. I don't know if you're like that, but I struggle with receiving a lot. Like I have a hard time taking things from people. I want to be the helper. And so it was really humbling to be on the receiving end of all the good. Like even my dentist would hear this one's on us, you know, for the quarterly cleanings. Like it was just anything you could think of people did. And it was so humbling and so inspiring and just makes you want to go give right back. Well, and you are really good at that. But I, I remember seeing a post about like a Delta flight where there was oh some guy who yes. really helped with, was it a flight attendant or what yes. was it that helped you guys I out? I totally forgot about that. Um, yeah, we were flying home like at the end of transplant. So we were there for six months. My husband and kids came back and forth, but Abram and I were there for six months. So this is like October after transplant. And we, he's obviously like super fragile and they got us cleared to go fly home and not drive because they didn't want him to be away from a hospital for longer than an hour. So it was safer to be, to risk being in an airplane than to be in a car. And so we get to the airport and I'm like, you know, a sweaty mess. Like I need to I'm, have all his meds, like 25 meds he had and all these things. And I get to the front, I'm like, can I check in first so I can go like scrub all the seats around me? Like I had spray, I had everything. And he was like, oh, sure. Let me just help you right now. He literally carried the stroller. Carry, I was holding Abram. He, he got me set up. I went in before, like, I don't even think they were done cleaning. I was like the first person on the plane. And then he arranged seats so that I could get an empty seat next to me. And then they start boarding and I hear someone come on over the intercom, like, Hey, passenger 32 C Abram Kilpack is an honorary flying member of our Delta crew today. He just got a transplant. We all want to cheer for him. They're all 
clapping and cheering. I'm like sobbing, of course, at this point. And it's the same flight attendant at the front who's talking on the intercom. And he said, we just want to honor him. And then he comes up at the end and has a like McFlurry and a cookie from McDonald's. He had run all the way around the corner in the airport and grabbed it and was just like, congrats, we love you. And like that he, oh, he, he also let us get into the cockpit. We took a picture with the pilot and his hat on, like it was above and beyond. And like, he didn't have to do any of that. And he was just going out of his way on his own dime and nickel. And it was so tender. It was so, so sweet. That's so sweet. And I'm sure that that person has no idea how much of an impact he made. It was just like another day at work. And like that, that was such an important day for me, that flight. And then he just made me feel like God God saw us and he was answering our prayers. It was so sweet. That's so tender. I loved that story and I loved hearing about it again today. (laughs) So I feel like there were some posts during COVID. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm imagining this, but I feel like there were some drama and there were some things that happened with Abrams Health during COVID. Can you talk about that? Yes. So after transplant, about um, eight months later, it was March before COVID. He started, um, his blood levels started going really dipping down at like a severe rate. Like his red cells were just totally tanking and he had a lot of struggles. He had GVHD where it's like graft versus host Copeland versus his blood are fighting. And that's totally normal and common, but it can, it can manifest and get and and have some, some problems and long-term side effects are just really exacerbated, like short acute ones. And one of them was, it was attacking his cell. It was autoimmune hemolytic anemia, meaning his blood was attacking his red cells and just eating them. Like there was no more red cells being made, which makes up all your blood cells. So without red blood cells, he didn't, he wasn't going to have blood and they were nervous to give him more infusions of blood because it was just going to like exacerbate the attack. And they decided, well, he's getting way too low. We can't risk it. So we need to hospitalize him. And at this point I was still working with Seattle because they're so good and working remote like telehealth mm-hmm. kind of before COVID. Yeah. But he was, this was so severe of a case that she said, I'm sorry, I can't take you anymore. You have to go up to your local hospital. And I was like sobbing as she's telling me this, because I love this doctor oh, with my life. Yeah. But she's like, I can't like, this is a dangerous thing. I can't even life let you here fast enough. Like this is scary. You need to go up to the hospital. So I'm like, we're just packing all the things frantic. We grab all the kids. They're giving him hugs. Like, is this the last time we're going to see him? They got a transfusion ready for him, but the chances were 50, 50, that if they gave him the blood, he would just like, um, devour it. And just, it goes into like a spiral of you eat your own blood until it's fatal. And that was like a high chance. She was like, I can't, I can't do it from far away. You have to go up there. So we went up there and COVID had hit at this point. So they were all in like their hazmat suits and masks and no one could come in. It was just me. Anyway, it was kind of a disaster and we were there for three or four days, but that transfusion happened the next day and it was seamless. He was totally okay. His body was calmed and he just like received it again, perfectly calm and his levels, it took a long time. It probably took another six months for them to go back up, but it didn't have that like eating up response. He, he received it well. So we were there for a few, a few days and then he had to go on steroids for a while. So I feel like it didn't, it was like we were in COVID before we were in quarantine before COVID. And then we just had to be extra, extra careful. So after 
when COVID hit, we were just like on full lockdown, didn't go anywhere. <laughs> wow. Yeah. What was that like for your family? Was there any point where your other kids were like, get me out enough is enough or anything like that. I don't know. Yeah. How did you guys deal with that as a yeah. family? I mean, at this point, it's kind of like a funk opportunity because we had done so much for Abram that we weren't going to give up now, but um, we did have to pull the kids out of school. They didn't want us them in school. So I homeschooled them trying to run a business, didn't have a nanny and then taking care of Abram all day. Like they wouldn't let people in or out. And, and anyway, it was a disaster. I think in some regards, that was like the hardest year of my life more than the transplant because you have and like if you could it's like that like president nelson just said some of our trials play out on the world stage and some of them are just caught in the lonely caverns of our heart and so knowing that someone's going through a big cancer-like thing you know there's the casseroles and the meals but then like depression like you've experienced or other things that are just a little harder to see um make it it's just an interesting dynamic because i was so helped during that time with with transplant and then during covid to just have that disparity and see like wow like i in the quiet hardest hidden sorrow that the i can't see there's so many people who are struggling and that we we don't even know about and how can we help them and and how can we be aware of them for sure it was running through my mind and i think that's so relatable so many people not to the same degree that your family went through but so many people went through similar yeah struggles during COVID of it's so lonely and there's so much pressure and it's all on me. And I can't, I can't have anyone else help. And every single mom, I feel like went through keep faith central in your family I know that's a big deal for you guys how what did you guys do to keep that as your rock oh man I don't know I feel like I hit some real lows and and having to recognize that like there is this is this is where we're at and 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 recognizing that it's not like being humble enough, I guess, to say like, this is not going super great. And I'm going to acknowledge that I need like help from my husband. I need my kids to, to jump in. And then, I mean, we've always tried to be like a family who says our prayers and does scriptures and temple attendance wasn't an option, but you, you tried to honor your covenants. And I feel like we got, you could see that president Nelson's emphasis on covenants and like drawing down power. I still remember when he talked to police, to my sisters when he said we need women who can make things happen by their faith like I still can like that still resonates with me because we still need things to happen and we and we have covenants and we keep them and so we need to be able to like draw upon those powers of heaven and I don't know how we made it just by the grace of God but like putting first things first and 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 just asking for lots of help getting lots of blessings priesthood blessings and fasting I don't know all the basics yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm always strengthened by, I feel like when you share what you guys are going through, that you never hold back your central faith and testimony on the savior. And I always really, really appreciate that because it's like, it makes me think of in the scriptures when 
you know, we're asked to acknowledge God in all things. I feel like you're really good at that. So that's why I felt comfortable asking you that. Cause I know that's so central to who you are and how you've raised your family and how you guys get through things. So and you're sweet. I like love Elder Razvan when he said there's like power and even saying the name Jesus Christ. I just feel like he's always the answer, you know, to everything. He's just a little more Jesus and, and that will help get us through. I definitely have seen that in my own life. Yeah. And I think too, sometimes for me and everyone, it's like this week is the, you know, you can finally fly without a mask and it's kind of feeling like, oh, we're finally getting real life back. But at the same time, if you believe in Jesus, you know that it's like actually probably going to get worse before it gets better (laughs) overall, you know, Uh before he comes again. And so all of this resilience and all the things that we're learning through these trials are going to have to continue to get us through probably even harder times or who knows what's coming. I mean, nobody could have predicted COVID-19. So, um, and the ways that it affected everyone in the world, whether you believe it's like a real thing or not, or you're a, you know, (laughs) whatever, whatever spectrum you're on, everyone was affected by the policies and Mm -hmm. by the economy and by, you know, just everything about our world changing. So, I think that, you know, our kids growing up in these times and especially what your kids have gone through is going to serve them so well in the, their, all of their life struggles to come. <laughs> I hope. I mean, you always so, just pray. But. Yeah. Yeah. Can you tell me about, are there any things that you feel like you, I always love to think about this. Like, is there anything that your kids taught you through this or that you feel like, I mean, just yesterday I was watching two of my kids. Um, One of them was really upset at their younger sibling for ruining something. And then my oldest was trying to talk her down because she wanted to retaliate (laughs) so bad. And she was like, sometimes Satan makes me want to do something so mean. And I just think about Jesus and I, I don't do it. And I was like, man, kids are just so profound sometimes. Um, How sweet is that? Yes, it was a really tender little, yeah, it was Annabelle talking Lila down from wanting to just like retaliate because (laughs) Millie ruined some brand new makeup of hers that she got on the Disney cruise from the fairy godmother. I mean, it was like all time highest girl drama that we've had in this house so far. (laughs) She was literally ready to take Millie to her grave. (laughs) It was bad. So, but you know, I just was like, this is so profound like watching the older sister talk to the younger sister about like sometimes Satan makes me want to do mean things but then I think of Jesus so anyway but I've I feel like I've seen you talk about things that you've learned from your children so is there anything like that that you can share that you feel like has been really profound aside from Abram's meekness that was such a eye-opener for me during transplant just the physical like presentation of his meekness um I feel like my boys get a lot of credit for that transplant because they did a lot of the hard work that I was apart from my girls for like the majority of um, that stay, which is tender to me because I, you know, no mom wants to be away from her kids. Um, so for about six months, they came up for a few weeks when he was well enough after his transplant, but before we could go home and um, seeing them, I came home for their I miss Mother's Day. I miss the recitals. I miss like graduation from preschool. I miss all these things. And then I came home for my daughter's birthday. She turned five in um, July and I surprised them. And I, I came home from and like met them at church. And, and there's a picture that like will ever, forever be seared in my heart. We're all just crying, all of us. And I think 
like we all go through struggles in life and we all sacrifice, you know, um, but seeing those two girls maybe out of the spotlight a little more, um, sacrificing in their own way, you know, for the good of the whole. And um, one little funny memory from Florence, she's my littlest, she's a year older than Abram, littlest girl. And she, I, my mom would send me the funny things that they did while she was watching them. And one day she said, no Siri trying to get Siri to play music. No Siri, that's not peace in Christ. You have to keep looking for it. <laughs> she was wanting to play peace in Christ was like her favorite yeah. song at the time. And I like that has touched me. Like we do have to keep looking for that peace. It's not, it's not always right there. And I was surprised at this journey with Abram, like the weight of the sorrow and suffering. But when I picked up the stick of like this process, I was surprised by how much joy there was too. Like there was a lot of happiness and miracles and mercy and, and kindness and and seeing that in my girls, like they still to this day talk about how how that was really hard for them, but God helped them when they felt lonely. And and so I think seeing them and their testimonies grow, you know, makes it all worth it and so inspiring from little little mouths of babes. Yeah, that's so sweet. I'm gonna think about that. Too. You have to keep looking. Keep Sorry. looking for it, Siri. Keep finding it. Oh, I love that. Well, Mary, thanks so much for sharing this beautiful story with me. If there's one message that you want the person listening to this episode to remember, what do you want that one message to be? Oh man, that is a tricky one. Um, I wrote out a bunch of thoughts this morning as I was prepping, and I kind of touched a little bit about Jesus, like the answer is always Jesus. I think one thing I've really been feeling lately as like, you know, you go through transplant or you go through something hard and then something else comes, like you've experienced really incredibly hard things. And I feel like you're not just done. Like you still, Mm -hmm. God asks more of us and he's expecting more of us. And he needs us to like bring our whole self. He needs us to become saints. He needs us to be purified and he needs us to be like Christ. And, And so it's never done, but I feel like one thing I've been thinking about so much is how God gives us the commandments to help us be happy. And every time I do even the smallest thing to try and like keep his commandments more that I am, I can feel the blessed, like the happiness. I know that that's like incremental. Like I'm going to try better to pay my tithing or try better, you know, whatever they are, I'm going to do those things. And little by little, I can feel that happiness. And, and that's the joy and that peace that like can, sustain you through the through the rockiness and over the past years I felt like maybe it's harder to be faithful in the simpleness than in the big moments the day-to-day when I want to yell at my kids or I'm like upset about something that that's a lot harder than when like the pressure's on and this is like a heated moment so that's been an interesting thing for me to like prove try to improve my I guess integrity like do I believe it can I do it when it's when it's not so visible or so important and it's just small acts anyway I guess I would just want to like make sure a listener knows that the little things count that the little things add up and that's how we become like him and that the little things do over the course of a lifetime really do like bring us to Jesus and change us like I've seen it in Abram over the last four years those little things he's a totally different person totally healthy and in school and traveling and and it's just small little things and the same can be said of us. I know Jesus Christ can change us. I know he's the answer. 
and I know um, we can just trust in him. We have no reason to doubt him. He'll always come through. So beautiful. I hope you write a book someday oh. about all of this. No, you're kind. I am it's trying so to work incredible. on it. But. Oh, that would be awesome. Well, in the meantime, where can people find you and where can they find Gather? Yeah, I gather is with a at G-H-G-H-R-E on Instagram. And um, I'm Marilee Kopak on Instagram. Not very, I'm not very present on there always, but that's where you can see a bit of the story. Okay, thank you so much for doing this today. Thank you. Thank you for being a woman of faith. We need, we need more people like you doing good. So keep it up, girl. Thanks so much for listening to Mint Arrow Messages. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at Mint Arrow. Subscribe to our Apple Podcasts and rate and review us if you like us. And to get show notes, go to mintarrow.com slash podcast. And you can even sign up to get show notes emailed right to your inbox. And we'll email you every time there's a new episode. Thank you.